This is the American Psychological Association's Division 15 podcast series on emerging research in educational psychology. My name is Jeff Green. Thanks for joining us. So recently, our family went on vacation, and my wife and I really had to think carefully about how to plan it for our children. We knew it was a bad idea to take the kids somewhere for a week and have absolutely no plan, nothing scheduled. That much freedom would be a recipe for disaster. But at the same time, we didn't want to overly structure our time together. Planning every second of every day would have been a great way to make our children rebel and ask to go home early. But finding that balance of structure and also the right kinds of structure, it's really tough, both when you're on vacation and when you're teaching in a classroom. There's lots of theory and plenty of empirical research on classroom structure and how it relates to student motivation and engagement and achievement, but there really hasn't been a comprehensive synthesis of it until now. I'm so grateful Dr. Erica Patal and her team did this synthesis because it tells us a lot about how to optimize structure to benefit students, and perhaps there are a few lessons for me and my vacation planning also. Erica Patal is a professor of education and psychology in the Ross Sear School of Education at the University of Southern California. Her areas of expertise include the nature, determinants, and development of motivation. In particular, she is focused on how supports for autonomy, agency, and other psychological needs may impact motivation and support success and well-being, particularly among students. She is also interested in the development and use of research synthesis and meta-analytic methods to help guide effective educational practices. Her work has been funded by the William T. Grant Foundation, Institute of Education Sciences, National Science Foundation, Spencer Foundation, and the National Institutes of Health. She was the recipient of the 2021 Best Educational Psychologist Article of the Year Award from Division 15 of the American Psychological Association, the 2018 American Psychological Association Division 15 Richard Snow Award for Early Contributions, and the 2015 American Educational Research Association Division C Outstanding Early Career Scholar Award. Today, we're talking about Erica's 2024 article in Educational Psychologist entitled, A Meta-Analysis of Teachers' Provision of Structure in the Classroom and Students' Academic Competence Beliefs, Engagement, and Achievement, which she co-authored with a team of 11 other people. So Erica, thanks so much for talking to me today and congratulations on the publication. Thanks so much, Jeff. Thank you for having me. It's really wonderful to be able to talk to you about this meta-analysis. Finally, we've been <laughs> working on it for years, really, truly many years. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're happy that we can finally share it in a publication. Well, I- I'm glad you did. It's it's a huge amount of work. So thank you. I think the field should thank you and your team. And you're right. I mean, it's years and years of work. So I'm really excited to dive into it. So I think We should probably start by just talking about classroom structure itself. Can you help our listeners understand what it is and why it's important? Sure. There's multiple definitions, but we lean toward a definition that comes from the motivation literature. And what structure is in the classroom is a a combination or a, a large assortment of strategies that are all meant to support learning and instruction, you know, regardless of what particular content the instruction is focused on, mm-hmm. but it, it's meant to help students understand how to navigate the environment effectively by creating expectations or routines, providing guidance, feedback, Mm-hmm. monitoring, all these strategies that help students know how to be successful in that classroom environment. 
Gotcha. So it's kind of the how-to for the classroom in some ways for the students. So you mentioned that there's a lot of different definitions and kind of perspectives on it. Like, what are the what are the theories that drive research on classroom structure? Yeah, well, the term we're using here, classroom structure, that comes from self-determination theory primarily. Okay. From that theory, they're emphasizing support for competence. But mm-hmm. the actual practices themselves overlap a lot with what researchers have called classroom management or classroom organization. Mm-hmm. Also, these strategies have been emphasized in research on instructional quality as well. But they all have at their core this emphasis on helping students to know what they should be doing, how they should be successful in order to accomplish desired outcomes in the educational space. And they all kind of emphasize the same sorts of strategies like being clear about expectations, creating routines, having rules, you know, giving feedback, providing guidance, mm-hmm. intervening when there's misconduct in the classroom. Mm-hmm. I'd say the classroom management and organization literature, they emphasize more conduct mm-hmm. than some of these motivation outcomes that we were trying to focus on in, in, in this review. And that's mm-hmm. why we went with the term structure. I mean, are all forms of structure good or are there some forms of structure that maybe are not as associated with positive outcomes? Yeah, that's a good question because structure, that term from the motivation scholars, they wouldn't include all the same practices that scholars studying classroom management and classroom organization sometimes include. So from the motivation perspective, things that help people understand how to be competent without being overly controlling or making people feel like they're being pressured to do something in the classroom. That's what structure is. It's not control. Mm -hmm. It's just practices that help people feel they know what to do and can be competent in the space. Mm -hmm. But from a classroom management or organization perspective, it sometimes goes beyond that. So practices that would be included in those perspectives would be things like reinforcement, rewards, and even punishment when Mm -hmm. students misbehave in the classroom. Motivation theories like self-determination typically exclude those as being part of structure because they have this risk of being super controlling and making people feel like they're not autonomous and they're only doing things because of contingencies in the environment and not because they want to. So Mm -hmm. that's not typically part of structure, Mm -hmm. but we still included them because of this overlap between the motivation perspectives on structure and how classroom management and organization scholars have um, what kind of practices they include in their definitions of classroom management and organization. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense that we would all love to have a classroom where people felt competent, where they felt like they had choice, where they felt like they were cared for. But, you know, sometimes it's easy to fall into what might be considered more controlling behaviors or those are realities in classrooms sometimes. And so they're, they're important to study and to understand. Yeah. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. And the classroom management scholars, it's not like they think that all the practices are equal. They've also mm-hmm. emphasized that some strategies are better than others, in particular ones that are more preventative or proactive on the part of teachers for guiding mm-hmm. students' behavior rather than reactive. Mm-hmm. Things like rewards and punishment are more reactive kinds of strategies. And for a long time, classroom management scholars have emphasized that the more preventative, mm-hmm. proactive strategies seem to be better than the responsive strategies. Yeah. And again, makes perfect sense. You know, you want to try and try to avoid a problem before it happens or avoid a, a difficult interaction before it happens. But of course, sometimes they do happen. And it's important to understand what that means for students' motivation and engagement, all those things. So yeah, it, it makes sense to me that you've included everything there. So we've talked a lot already about some of the theory and some of the ideas in the field. But can you give us a sense of like prior to your review, kind of what was the conventional wisdom or, or the gist of the field when it came to classroom structure and classroom management and the various outcomes you were interested in? Well, prior to this review, structure and particularly the classroom management literature had primarily focused on, I would say, achievement and Mm -hmm. behavioral engagement as the primary outcome. So one of the Mm -hmm. main things that our review did was to go beyond reviews that had focused on just those two outcomes, conduct, Mm -hmm. essentially, and achievement to other kinds of outcomes as well and being more inclusive. Mm -hmm. I would say to a large extent that our review was consistent with what theories were predicting, but maybe we didn't have extensive synthesized evidence to be more confident about than we are now, now that we have this review. And and Mm -hmm. that is like from a self-determination theory perspective, we did already predict that certain strategies would be more effective. Those that excluded controlling aspects would be more effective. And that was one thing that we established in this review. Mm-hmm. We all likewise that proactive strategies from a classroom management perspective would be likely more effective. This review also made a point to look at interventions and the measurement of structure when they were combined with other elements that from a self-determination theory we thought would be important. So was structure accompanied by support for students' emotional mm-hmm. well-being or for their autonomy versus when it wasn't? And we found also that it was really important that structure was not provided on its own, but also, you know, accompanied by this additional support for motivation. Yeah. And so one of the great things that a meta-analysis does is it takes a lot of, you know, often very, very good research that differed in lots of ways and tries to synthesize it, organize it, and understand it so that you can kind of get at those nuanced findings that you were mentioning earlier. And it sounds like the literature prior to your synthesis, you know, there was just a lot of different ways to conceptualize structure. There were a lot of different samples, a lot of different perspectives on it. And one of the ones that you mentioned that I thought was so interesting was this kind of dual process model of motivation and what that might suggest about what you could find when you synthesize literature. Can you help us understand what that dual process model says? 
Sure, absolutely. That dual process model of motivation, it hadn't actually been applied to structure before. It was mm-hmm. more connected with the autonomy support and mm-hmm. need satisfaction mm-hmm. literature more generally. And, and the idea is that satisfaction of something like competence, a competence need or an autonomy need or a relatedness need, that was going to be linked with sort of desirable outcomes, positive outcomes that, you know, we want to happen, like feeling more engaged and mm-hmm. and behaviorally being more engaged and better intrinsic motivation and, and positive things, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and likewise, taking a step back from just like that experience of mm-hmm. feeling autonomous and competent relatedness that even prior to that, things in the environment like autonomy support and from our perspective, we extended it to structure as well, but autonomy, support, and structure would be linked to positive outcomes. And in contrast, though, right, so that's sort of established with what the literature says, but in contrast, it's negative environments or unsupportive environments, you know, environments that thwart those autonomy and competence needs that are going to be linked with undesirable or less, you know, optimal outcomes like disengagement Mm -hmm. and, you know, a motivation or controlled motivation. So sort of satisfaction in good environments are expected to be linked with positive, desirable outcomes and less desirable or unsupportive environments are expected to be linked with undesirable outcomes is is the basic idea behind that, Mm -hmm. that theory. Yeah, and it makes good sense, but it does, I think, helpfully kind of hedge our expectations, right? So I think the idea that a positive support for structure might not be very related at all with a negative outcome is one that at first might seem counterintuitive, but I think the dual process model, as you illustrate in the article, really suggests that the strength comes in kind of that alignment between, you know, positive motivation, positive outcomes, and then a strength of alignment between not so positive structure and then not so positive outcomes. So that's right. that was an important nuance there in your kind of setup for the article. Right. That's exactly what we found essentially, right? Yeah. In our findings, we found much stronger and more consistent relationships between structure and engagement, competence, beliefs, and achievement rather than disengagement outcomes. Yeah. And that was pretty consistent across our findings and both the uh, our correlational findings and our experimental findings. Well, and that, I mean, that's something we might have buried the lead here. Yeah, um, we, we should we should talk about the fact that it's not just one meta analysis; it's two, right? So, like, I like, mean, you could think about it as many, many, depending on yeah. how, how many outcomes we had, but at least two, right? Because we all, we both synthesized all the correlational evidence as well as all the intervention evidence, and Oof. I'll use the word intervention rather than experiment here because we did only focus on interventions where researchers had tried to train teachers in real life education settings to mm. use structure in their, their classrooms or had trained the school more broadly, had done something that was in an authentic setting with educators mm. themselves. Yeah. So yeah, it was a lot of studies. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot. In fact, it was so many. So I, I wrote this down, right? So I just want to kind of, I'm going to read one part of your article because it's just kind of gobsmacking to me. In your article, you wrote, we identified 223 total articles of which 182 were published and 41 were unpublished 
Of those, you identified 177 reports of 1,651 correlational studies containing 191 samples and 1,497 correlation coefficients, and then also 46 reports of 46 intervention studies containing 71 samples and 309 effect sizes. That's mind-boggling. It was really pretty pretty uh, intense for us. <laughs> Every time we had to reanalyze that data, it was a really uh, terrible endeavor to uh, clean it again. <laughs> I, I, I can only imagine. I can only imagine. But I mean, that I think that gives our listeners a sense of like the scope of what you've covered and how much you've covered and how much information you synthesized here. So, I mean, just really kudos just for that. And what a service for the field to pull that all together. And you did so in a really rigorous way, right? Which is not so surprising knowing who you are and your expertise and, you know, the awards you've won for the kind of work that you do. But, you know, one thing we always have to do on this podcast is kind of give listeners tips or tricks. And there might be people out there who are thinking about doing a meta-analysis. And I I certainly don't want you to give us, you know, your top 10 tips for meta-analysis here. That would probably take too long. But was there anything in particular that you would like to share with listeners? You're like, you know, if you're going to do meta-analysis, make sure you do this, or here's something new that you might not know about that you should check out. Like any, any tips for them about that? Well, I'll give a a little plug to my friend, Josh Polanin for a meta reviewer. He seems to be really helping the process with meta reviewer, Mm -hmm. keeping organized in terms of your lit search and your coding process. So I would tell people to check that out. I actually did not use it for this meta analysis because it didn't exist when we got started, but Mm -hmm. I think it's like as one little you know, technology tool, check out Meta Reviewer. It's like an app or something. It's like a program. Yeah. And a website and you, yeah, there's, okay. there's a, a software to download Got as it. well. Cool. And I think you can just Google that word Meta Reviewer and mm-hmm. find it pretty easily. Um, other tips for me, I mean, you know, my honest truth is that I would tell most people not to do such a broad meta-analysis as this one in some ways. (laughs) Like it's really, it's really pretty intense to do this kind of meta-analysis unless you're super committed to making sure that this is, you know, done to help the field. And that's where I was at. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. maybe tip number one, if you're going to take on a broad meta-analysis like this, make sure it's, it's really important to you that the field has this work at their disposal. You know, Jeff, you didn't even mention how many titles and abstracts we screened. I think, you know, I'm (laughs) not looking at my paper, but I think it was um, over 25,000 records that Mm -hmm. we reviewed to get to that final number of studies we had. So I would say it's really important to have a a big team when you do this kind of meta-analysis that's really broad and there's going to be a lot of studies. I would also say to make this more manageable, it's important that you put a lot of thought into how you're searching and prioritize those searches. Mm -hmm. You know, the electronic searches for a top like structure where we have to include words like structure and Mm -hmm. expectation, goal, lots of words that appear Mm -hmm. 
really frequently (laughs) in abstracts and titles in psychology and education. You got to put a lot of thought into creating those searches. And so I would say don't underestimate how long just figuring out what a precise and manageable search will be. It doesn't seem like you're going to miss a lot of important things in your search. Yeah, there's like a science to that. Just the searching product, like just the terms and everything. It's intense. Yeah. And you've probably tried to put this out of your mind. So you retrieved and screened 27,530 records. So, yes, y- yikes. we did. That's why That's we have so yeah. many people helping on this meta-analysis yeah. because yeah. it took a long, I think it took us at least a year, maybe it was even, I'm forgetting now, you know, Mm -hmm. we, (laughs) I try to forget the bad parts of how long things took us, (laughs) but it was at least a year. And I think it was even closer to two that we were just screening studies because there was so much to look at. But it was really great. And you got really great results. And, you know, yeah. let's, if, if people love it and want to do it, it's really valuable. So <laughs> I feel like so when my wife and I had our first baby, we had some friends who came over and they were thinking about starting a family and they were asking my wife, like, what's it like? And she was trying to do like, um, it was hard, but good. <laughs> like she didn't want to discourage them. But, you know, yeah, it kind of sounds like that. Anyways, we should talk about your findings. You've mentioned some of your findings throughout our conversation here. But, you know, let's also give our listeners a little rundown here. So across both the correlational and the intervention studies, how does structure relate to the positive stuff like academic achievement and different kinds of engagement and competence? Okay, well, we have more clear or more robust, maybe, results for the correlational evidence, because like you said, we had thousands of effect sizes for that one. So we we found across the correlational evidence that structure, um, as predicted, was positively linked with achievement, behavioral engagement, emotional engagement cognitive engagement, Mm -hmm. and competence beliefs. And we Mm -hmm. found essentially in that correlational evidence, no statistically significant relationships with the undesirable outcomes that we were focusing on. And those included behavioral, emotional, and cognitive engagement. In our intervention studies, we found, you know, in line with that correlational evidence that interventions that focused on enhancing structure in classrooms and schools was predicting enhanced achievement, better behavioral engagement, and overall engagement when we combined multiple types. But the relationship with emotional and cognitive engagement and competence beliefs were not statistically significant. Mm-hmm. We also actually, though, in that intervention evidence found that when researchers were intervening to enhance structure in classrooms, that that did predict less behavioral disengagement among students who had mm-hmm. you know, been in the structure condition. So different kinds of evidence, but also really good evidence that there are positive effects of structure upon both proximal and kind of distal outcomes. But she did see like a difference there, right? Like the the effect sizes varied depending upon how close they were to structure, right? Yeah. So the smallest effects are for achievement, as we expect, right? There's a Mm -hmm. lot of, this is said over and over again by psychologists and education researchers. There's so many things that predict achievement that you often get pretty small effects or correlations when you're 
trying to predict it. So Mm -hmm. the smallest effects were for academic achievement in both the correlational and the intervention research. And then there's slightly bigger, even a third to double the size in terms of the correlation or we were using hedges G, you know, a standardized Mm -hmm. mean difference for interventions. So yeah. A third to double the size in terms of the size of those effects yeah. or things like engagement and incompetence beliefs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's sort of how we were predicted. Achievement we think of as being mediated by those more proximal outcomes like engagement. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to achieve much if you're not engaged in what you're learning. So yeah. our results were in line with that. And the effect sizes still, they're important, right? They're still sizable. I mean, your Hedges G for achievement is 0.33. I mean, that's that's not too shabby, right? So if you tell me no. that we increase structure in a classroom and students are going to get a third of a standard deviation boost in their performance, I mean, I'll take it. Yeah, I think it's still meaningful. The size of the intervention effects are pretty consistent with what you see for a lot of education interventions, maybe even on the sort of the the bigger side Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. education interventions in Mm -hmm. terms of what they can accomplish, Mm -hmm. especially when they're targeting things like engagement. Mm -hmm. The correlations are on the smaller side, but for those studies, remember, nobody's intervening. They're just measuring practices as they naturally occur. So they're on the smaller side. Yeah, but not so small that it don't matter. They matter. They're important. You know, you, you had a lot of moderators that you investigated, and I want our listeners to go to your article and check it out because there's a lot of cool nuance there. We can't go over all of it here. But there, there was one thing that didn't differ, right? Like the, you di- it was not a statistically significant moderator. And can you talk to us about that one thing that really surprised you that was kind of consistent for students? Yeah, Absolutely. So I think that some motivation scholars, at least, and a lot of classroom management scholars would expect to see grade level differences. Mm-hmm. It's not that we think that structure is not important for everyone, but that it's really our youngest kids who need a lot of tools to help them understand how to self-regulate and Mm -hmm. navigate an environment. But actually, Mm -hmm. we did not find that. We found there was no outcome and neither the correlation nor the intervention data set produced any grade level differences, suggesting that all these practices, this set of practices that make up structure are really pretty important for everyone, Mm -hmm. K to 12. Yeah, and that's important because now we can say to, you know, middle school and high school teachers, hey, this 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 can work for you too. So I'm glad that came out. I mean, I like structure and I'm no longer in high school. So it makes sense to me that it might be good for lots of people. Makes sense to me. As a college instructor, it seems to me that my undergrads and graduate students also need quite a bit of structure to feel like they know what they're doing in class. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's good research on, you know, high structure classrooms and all those things. So, you know, I get that people might think that younger kids need more structure, might be more effective for younger kids, but, you know, structure is good for lots of people. So that's exciting. Another thing that you found that I thought was really cool was how autonomy support and positive emotion kind of like amplify or, or help structure work. Can you talk about that for a minute? Yeah, absolutely. So this pattern we saw consistently across outcomes, but we really only found a statistically significant moderating effect for um, achievement with the correlational evidence. And what it showed was that, you know, 
already established structure, regardless of the broader context, seems to support engagement and achievement outcomes and confidence beliefs. But we saw a bigger positive correlation when, in addition to providing structure, part of that structure, the context in which structure was given, included teachers providing support for students' autonomy or being emotionally supportive. Mm-hmm. So so very much supporting the kind of self-determination theory foundation of all of this. Yeah, absolutely. It's not enough just to support competence, but you have to support autonomy as well, I think is a message that the self-determination theorists have tried to communicate for a, a long time. And also that these things are related. So, mm-hmm. you know, when they're combined, that's when people really thrive. Mm-hmm. And then... So you found some things involving lower income students. There were some differences there, right? Yeah, that was sort of, we didn't know what prediction to make there, where mm-hmm. we, we vacillated between several possible predictions. But what we found was that for engagement in particular, correlations, the positive correlation between structure and engagement was weaker for students who were identified as coming from a a low-income background. You know, and these were for studies where the sample was primarily students from a low-income background, Mm -hmm. where there was weaker, still positive relationships Mm -hmm. between Mm -hmm. structure and engagement. That was a finding that we couldn't decide what to predict because on the one hand, you might think that, well, students who may come from more disadvantaged backgrounds may need more additional supports than students who come from more advantaged backgrounds. But on the other hand, the way we interpreted it was that structure, when it's all-inclusive, the way we had defined it for this paper to include things that are really more part of classroom management, like rewards, punishment, interventions, when students aren't doing exactly what you want them to be doing, that those things can lead on the more controlling side and that possibly with low-income students, they're even more likely to lead towards the controlling side, which is Mm. when they're not going to work as well. Mm -hmm. And then another interesting finding in terms of differences was that the relationships seemed weaker in the United States compared to studies done in other contexts, right? Yes, we also found that as well. We found that specifically with the intervention evidence linking interventions that focus on structure with academic achievement. And Mm -hmm. we thought about that as sort of a difference in cultural values, right? That Mm -hmm. the more individualistic context of the U.S. may make a lot of rules and routines Mm -hmm. less appealing. Mm -hmm. And so as much as people probably in any culture need structure to understand how to navigate an environment, it's got maybe more of a double-edged sword for those who really highly value independence compared to other countries that Mm -hmm. may highly value interdependence. Yeah, really interesting. Yeah. So like I said, I mean, there's a, a lot here. There are a lot of moderators and things that you investigated, but there's some kind of really cool top level kind of 30,000 foot findings. I guess when you put it all together, what would you say to teachers and teacher educators and teacher researchers, 
based upon your meta-analysis, like what, what should they be taking away? Well, one, I think just the basic understanding that it's really important to provide structure. It's important for students to know what the expectations are for them in a class broadly, as well as, you know, a specific lesson. It's important to create routines so students can anticipate what's going to happen. It's important to give guidance as people go through learning something and provide feedback in that process. Mm-hmm. So let's not undervalue just that basic message that that alone is important to be doing. I think teachers know that to a large extent, even if occasionally they don't do that. So probably the next thing to understand is that there's this balance that needs to be struck between providing structure and supporting autonomy. It's really mm-hmm. important that teachers don't think about structure and start leaning into controlling their students because that's Mm -hmm. when structure starts to have less positive effects, right? So we found sort of an array of evidence that said to us that doing things that help set the stage for students self-regulating them, you know, for themselves in the classrooms, like communicating goals and expectations, When that was included, that was when structure had particularly positive effects. But when something like rewards and punishments were included, that's when structure started to have less positive effects, Hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. making sure the structure that you provide is also autonomy supportive and avoids being controlling is something that teachers really need to try to keep in mind. And then I guess, you know, like with the finding that low-income students, there was a weaker relationship for them. I think it's almost the same message that, you know, it's really important for teachers to think about how they're providing structure and how it's going to be interpreted by the students they're working with. Is it going to be perceived as support or is it going to be perceived as as the teacher just trying to make students do whatever the teacher (laughs) wants them to Mm -hmm. do, right? Versus the teacher providing some scaffolds for the students doing the things that the students want to do in order to learn and, and accomplish outcomes the students want to accomplish. Yeah, that's really helpful. And it reminds me of something you quoted in the article about how there's universality without uniformity, right? Like structure is a good thing for just about everybody, probably, but how structure is conveyed and how it's created and how it's interpreted, that could very much differ across different kinds of people. And teachers have the very challenging job of figuring out how to create the right structure for the right people. Yeah, I, you know, we're making it sound almost like it's easy, and it's really not. (laughs) It's really about thinking about how somebody else is going to perceive these Mm -hmm. practices that you're intending to help people feel confident and navigate the classroom environment confidently, but they can be interpreted differently. And I think that was an underlying theme of our meta-analysis in terms of why we had such variety in the moderator findings that we uncovered. Yeah. Very cool. Makes sense. So I really appreciate you talking to me about your article. I think our listeners should definitely check it out, give it a thorough read. One thing that we want to do for our listeners in addition is we always ask authors kind of, you know, Do you have any tips or any tricks for listeners who might be thinking about writing an article for educational psychologist? 
It's a good question. Well, I mean, I think it's really important when you're doing a meta-analysis, including one that's, you know, you're hoping to send to educational psychologists, I think it's really important to both have a strong theory that's guiding, mm-hmm. you know, why you're doing the meta-analysis and and the approach you're going to take and what you think you're going to find. Mm-hmm. And also that you have a vision for how that meta-analysis is going to move the field forward mm-hmm. and how your approach, what moderators you're going to do, or, you know, how you're going to synthesize maybe different literatures that haven't been talking to each other. That's one thing that this meta-analysis did, mm-hmm. you know, how your meta-analysis is going to help inform the field. Mm-hmm. Without that, as Educational psychology is, is is maybe not the right place. So having a vision right. for for that from the beginning is important. Yep, I love that. I'm glad you emphasized that because that is a distinction between meta-analyses published in educational psychologists versus other journals. We really do need that strong theoretical foundation, and then there's got to be implications for theory from the finding, which your article clearly has. So that's great. So uh, kind of beyond this meta-analysis, you know, which might be, <laughs> it sounds like you're trying to leave it behind a little bit in terms of like, you know, happier I'm moving on, Jeff. This yeah. one was really hard. I hope yeah. everyone appreciates it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. Uh, what are you working on now that's got you excited? Oh, just as painful meta-analyses as this <laughs> one in terms of workload, but <laughs> deeply rewarding, um, okay. just like this one. So. Yeah. My team has been simultaneously working on a meta-analysis on autonomy support. There's been others, Mm -hmm. but we're trying to do one that is a bit more comprehensive of the outcomes than prior meta-analyses. So it's focused on teacher autonomy support Mm -hmm. across achievement, engagement, motivation, and pro-social types of outcomes. Um, We'll see if we ever finish that. I have no promises (laughs) to whoever's listening. (laughs) You you are a glutton for punishment. I know. I can't can't control myself. I just keep doing (laughs) these kinds of meta-analyses that involve tons of searching and tons of coding. That's the main other one. My students always have lots of little meta-analyses that they have going, but that's top of our list for big projects right now. Great. So that seems like a great place for us to wrap it up for today. I really encourage our listeners to check out Erica's 2024 article in Educational Psychologist entitled, A Meta-Analysis of Teachers' Provision of Structure in the Classroom and Students' Academic Competence Beliefs, Engagement, and Achievement. Erica, Once again, kudos on the accomplishment and for getting past it. And thanks for talking to me about your article today. It was a real pleasure. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thanks. And finally, listeners, if you enjoyed this podcast, I hope that you check out our other episodes on your favorite podcast app. Please consider rating and reviewing us. And you can also go to our APA Division 15 website. It has all the podcasts. They're linked in the publication section. Thanks again for spending some time with us. 